time for the Liz Calloway Show. You asked for it, and we got it. Now, 6 to 10 weekday mornings. Always local. Always live. Always right. Here's Liz and Nick on Talk 94.5. It is 9.07 on the Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers on this Tuesday morning, September 12th. We have the home show coming up this weekend. Hope to see you out there. I'll be there Friday from 11 to 1 and on Saturday from like noon to 2. So uh, it is going on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I did post the link to all the workshops and all the vendors on our Facebook page. So go check that out. Also on our Facebook page, I uploaded this amazing uh, report from the South Carolina Policy Council. It's the legislative scorecard link, so you can follow along. Did we get A's? uh, You know, I didn't see our names there. I think we have to get elected first. Uh, That ain't happening. (laughs) But it is time to uh, talk to Bryce Fielder of the South Carolina Policy Council. Good morning, Bryce. Hey, good morning, Liz. How are you? Good, good. I love this report you guys put together. It's amazing. Um, it's uh, tell us a, a little bit about this and how how um, how long have you been doing this scorecard? Yeah, so we are. We're we're really glad that you like it. We're pumped about this project. So this is our 2023 legislative scorecard. It looks back on this year's session and scores all 170 legislators on various important bills that were voted on during the session covering things related to school choice, taxes and spending, government transparency, deregulation, a lot of important issues. And so this is the project that we, when we had started, we wanted to kind of get the history of. And we started this actually back in the 80s, just a few years after our organization was founded. We continued it into the 90s, and then for a while, we, we paused it. So this is the first year back that we've, we've done a scorecard in decades, and we're, we're really excited about it, and we think there's some good stuff in here. Yeah, so tell us, um, you know, one of uh, Tom, um, I'm sorry, uh, Val Guest is someone that we interview on a regular basis, and he got a favorable score from you. So what can people expect or think about Val Guest when it comes to that? What is favorable? Yeah, so the score, sure, the scorecard looks at, it assesses uh, four different rating categories. You have excellent, which is effectively a perfect record, which means, you know, they always supported or they always voted in line with the policy council position. You have favorable, which is the rating under that, which means generally they voted pretty well. Um, there may be a couple issues where they voted the opposite way, but, you know, largely they had a solid voting record. Unfavorable means it's it's kind of average. You know, maybe there's some bills that they voted to support that were good, but there were too many that they supported in the opposite direction that were not. And then finally, you just have poor, which is the worst rating that the scorecard assesses. And that just means, um, you know, by and large, just not a very good voting record for the year. So favorable is a solid rating. It's good. It means on average, uh, he supported good bills. Uh, but it also means that he has room to improve going into next year because South Carolina operates on a two-year session. This just looks at the first year. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be more bills that we'll be looking at in 2024. Yeah, a couple of the ones that was kind of sticking in the craw of the South Carolina Policy Council was uh, the workforce housing and the Scout Motors deal. So um, maybe I'll ask him why he voted in favor of that uh, when the Policy Council 
you know, basically says that those were probably not good um, for conservative ideals. Would would you say that that's an accurate, uh, you know, um, how how you would see things from a conservative lens? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's just nothing conservative about handing over one point three billion dollars to a single corporation to move to South Carolina. We are all about economic growth and jobs and expansion, but we don't think it should come at the taxpayer expense. Mm -hmm. And the Scout deal was just such an egregious detail or a deal, not just at the state level using that $1.3 billion surplus, but also at the local level. Uh, You may recall Richland County gives them a 40-year fee in lieu of property tax agreement, so they're going to save millions on that. Mm -hmm. That's going to come at the expense of other businesses and local taxpayers. And then they even agreed not to offer similar details to other similar uh, companies so that effectively Scout is not going to have any competition for a while. So it's effectively almost like a non-compete from the government side of things. So um, if you look at the scorecard, I mean, the the two bills you mentioned, the Scout deal as well as the workforce housing, were the two bills that we opposed, and they were also passed overwhelmingly by the legislature. Yeah. So um, those are those are two areas, particularly with taxes and spending, that we think, you know, there, there needs to be some improvement on. So what I love about it is in this report, uh, it, you then have at the end bill summaries. So if if people wanted to say, well, what? hey, wait, like you said, what workforce housing, why was it wrong to vote yes for it? Um, and so in the bill summary, you can surmise why it would not be good. But let's talk about that tax-funded workforce housing. What was that about? Um, uh, you know, uh, there were many Republicans uh, that voted yes on this. Um, and why... Tell us about it, and why do you, is the South Carolina Policy Council not supportive of it? Yeah, so we've gotten a lot of questions on this bill. On the surface, it looks kind of confusing, but here's practically what it does. It would allow local governments to use a portion of their local accommodations tax, which by statute normally are only supposed to go towards wow. things that are kind of tourism-related, like right. advertisements speech access, there's a list of them. Mm-hmm. This bill would add another bullet on that list that says you can now fund workforce housing, which is effectively just another way of saying low-income housing. Mm-hmm. And the bill would also allow these local governments to issue bonds, so to go into debt for the construction of workforce housing. Wow. So, uh, that is not cool. We, no. And so we, we take, uh, we oppose the bill for kind of two primary reasons. The first is, Local accommodations tax is already being spent on all these other things. And so by adding another expense to the list, you're just going to effectively want these local governments to consider raising that tax to start funding these projects, right? Mm -hmm. Housing projects are very expensive. It's a limited amount of money. We're just worried that this could inspire tax hike proposals in the future. And then secondly, we just think if there is a need for housing, you know, that that need should be met by the private sector, which is fully capable better equipped to meet it. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I mean, what are we building? Ghettos? Because that's what the government does. And so, you know, we all understand workforce housing is, uh, you know, they try to make it different from um, 
affordable housing or low-income housing because they're trying to say, no, these are for teachers and police officers and firefighters that aren't making enough money to be able to buy the $350,000 home. Uh, We need workforce housing. But we all know what ends up happening, especially if the government owns a housing complex. You could just look at all the Section 8 housing, the ones that use the voucher system. Um, They're usually very unkempt and they are dangerous and they're not safe for people to live in. So, I mean, looking down the road, do we know, I would I would be curious to know, what is the affordable housing or the workforce housing situation in other areas that have actually built it? Are they able to maintain a, a safe living area? But even so, it the government should never be involved in that. I mean, aren't we... Why would anybody vote for that? That's it. That doesn't make any sense to me. I understand we need housing that people can afford because that's why we're having a hard time finding people to work here because uh, they, they have to live so far away in order to work these lower paying jobs. And so they have travel issues and all that. But still, I mean, that's a sketchy area. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. So when we looked into this, I, I think kind of this proposal is coming out of the Charleston area. You know, a lot of a lot of areas in the state are seeing growth, particularly in Charleston. I think the way that they sold it is kind of as you described. We've got a lot of people moving to the area. There's a lot of job openings, teachers, firefighters, really important jobs, no doubt about that. And so they're like, hey, we need some some housing to, you know, accommodate these people moving here. Mm-hmm. On the on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, however, it's like you said, it gets tricky when the government is getting involved. And also, there are just some important downsides to consider when building uh, a lot of affordable housing. It's like we said, it it can be very expensive. I think there's been some good reporting on this, and and they were talking about the potential tab to uh, build all the affordable housing that they think Charleston needs. And it's it's like in the billions of dollars. And that is just not something that you can pay for with this one revenue Mm. stream. So that begs the question, how much other money is going to be poured into this? What are taxpayers going to be on the hook for for this project? Um, you know, really, the solution to this would be just make it easier for the private sector to build housing. You know, if there's a need for this, if there's a demand for it, that begs the question: Why is the supply not there to meet it? And the answer is, it's probably there's probably some some barriers in the way for them doing. I was just reading. Um, it's so interesting. Uh, it's I was just reading the District of Columbia, D.C. Um, they proposed a $20 million workforce housing fund to subsidize housing for, quote, teachers, police officers, janitors, social workers, typical middle income occupations. That's how they that's how they um, kind of, you know, bill it. And then the next thing you know, um, you know, it's saying here it could range between five hundred million to a billion dollars to to finish the job. And as you said, that accommodations tax is is only so big. You know, they say, oh, it's only going to impact the tourists who come here. They're the ones who always pay the accommodations tax, not the locals. Well, I mean, there are that that's not totally true, first of all. Um, and second of all, um, that that ta- those taxes end up uh, deterring, you know, tourists if they're paying because they'll pay like fifteen point five percent for liquor by the drink. 
They pay that tax or they pay an extra 1% on the regular food bill. Instead of 10 and a half, they pay 11 and a half. That's a lot of money. They'll avoid certain areas because the taxes are so high. They might as well eat at a restaurant in Horry County and stay out of the city of Myrtle Beach. So that yeah. hurts businesses. Yeah, I- it, it does. And South Carolina has so much going for it. We've got great weather, great people, great cities. It's no wonder why, why our state is exploding with people moving here. Mm-hmm. We have to avoid shooting ourselves in the foot when yeah. we've got all these things going for us. You may recall earlier this year, there was a proposal, I think that they called it the Yankee tax. And basically a couple yes. people wanted to charge people that were moving out of state more coming into South Carolina to register their cars. And it's like, that is going to be such a deterrent on yes. what is otherwise a very attractive destination for these people. And now you're totally right. Passing the tax burden on a tourist. Eventually people are just going to stop responding and stop coming as much. Yeah. I, I had that battle about six or seven months ago here. I agreed. Uh, I agree with you. It was, I think it was a very bad look. Um, and for very little gain, you know. Um, okay, so what else can we learn from this? I mean, I, I, um, I you know, what can people, what should people take away from this? I think yeah, they, so you we, should we, print it out. Yeah, it's honestly what I, I think you should do. And remember, keep it in your pocket when you go to the voting booth. Absolutely. And let me just say, we're thrilled at the response of this. We've gotten great reception. People are pumped about this. You know, one of the reasons that we wanted to do it is, we wanted to make sure people had the information to hold their legislators accountable on these important issues. You know, session can be such a busy time, voting on multiple bills a day, hundreds if not thousands of bills introduced in a given year. It can be hard for the average person to kind of keep track of, of what's going on. So this scorecard is going to tell you, here are 12 important bills that passed or failed this year. Actually, all of the passed, I should say. And um, here's what you need to know about it, basically. Um Liz, forgive me. What was what was your your question originally? Um, on, on what, how do you want people to utilize this scorecard? Oh yes, yes. So um, I'll, I'll kind of start with the takeaways on this. On average, you know, most legislators earn at least a favorable rating, which we think is good because there were also a lot of important bills that passed this year, and so we we wanted to recognize that. And, but there were also just a, a handful of folks, 12 of them, that got an excellent rating. So mm. we're, we're glad there's daylight between the top performers and kind of the bulk of, of the legislature. Where, you know, if we mm-hmm. think that's a positive trend. In terms of how people can use it, I mean, bring this to your legislator. First, read it, kind of assess mm-hmm. um, if what they're saying on the campaign trail actually lines up with, with how they're voting in office. And, you know, hold them accountable going into next year, right? Yeah. If, if a legislator or a person is unhappy with how their legislator scored, the good news is they have an opportunity in 2024 to improve that score and vote a little bit better. And so this scorecard is, is just the first entry of that two-year process. And um, so we think there's a lot of room for, for growth for some of these legislators. I have a, I have a question for you, kind of like reverse um, engineering here. Do, do any... Um, politicians ever reach out to the South Carolina Policy Council to say, hey, what are you thinking about that? I mean, has anybody ever consulted with your organization before voting? Um, Not so much before voting, but it is pretty common, especially when they're out of session. If they've got some ideas for the upcoming year, they've got thoughts on to, hey, how can we improve 
the road situation in South Carolina. If they have an idea, they will reach out to us and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here what is what a proposal may be for next year. What are your thoughts on this? Do you have any feedback on this? Do you have any ways that you think that we can improve it? And we we're thrilled when legislators do that. Mm. We always want to work with people to make good ideas happen. We'll work with anyone if we think it's a great idea. And so, yes. That, that does happen, and it's been happening even more as of late. When people are listed as not voting and they get a poor score for, like, being not voting for, like, half the votes of these important bills, what does that tell uh, a constituent? What does that mean, not voting? So that means that they did not vote for that particular bill. And if it, if it says not voting and it's listed there in yellow, that means they didn't have an excused absence and they didn't abstain. So the way the scorecard treats not voting is the same way that it treats voting the wrong way. Ah. You get dinged on for either way. And the reason for that is we think the most important obligation for a legislator is to be present in voting during the session. Oh, you mean um, like doing your job? Wow. <laughs> what a novel <laughs> yeah. idea. What a novel idea. <laughs> I mean, you, you put it very succinctly, Liz. And so, but we also wanted to make sure that we, we had some cushion for the people that couldn't be there. So if a legislator was absent, but they had an excused absence or they abstained and they provided a reason, then they simply weren't scored on that vote and it was taken out of consideration. For them. Okay. So it rewards people that, that did the due diligence of at least saying, hey, I'm not going to be here. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that was okay. the record. Well, Bryce, uh, I love this uh, scorecard. I'm, I printed it out. I can't wait to really dissect it and highlight it and see what I need to pay attention to, especially in upcoming interviews. So thank you for, uh, you know, putting that together. I know it's a lot of work, uh, but I did post the uh, link to the scpolicycouncil.org and their scorecard on our Facebook page. So you can go check it out and hold your politician accountable. That's what this is all about. So we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Liz. And if people want to check out our other work, they can do so at sppolicycouncil.org. And the first piece on the front there is our 2023 legislative scorecard. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks.